welcome to Talk to Me with Liv Harrison, the stories behind their success. When I was growing up, I knew I was going to go to college. I don't think college is for everybody, and I absolutely agree with that statement. But I knew for myself that it was going to be a part of my story, a part of my journey. My mother and father met at a university in the small town that I was born in and that I spent all of my childhood in until fifth grade called Natchitoches, Louisiana. There's a college there called Northwestern State University. So I grew up in a college town. I grew up with college kids at my house all the time. They were always bringing me around, doing things because I was a cute kid. And uh, I would get us things at like the bowling alley or, oh, geez, I don't know. They would bring me to their sorority meetings, all sorts of stuff, football games on the field, basketball games on the floor. I had a blast. I loved college, even when I wasn't in it. When I decided to go to a university, I chose one really far away from where I grew up because my parents really championed that idea. My mom and dad had said to me, listen, don't go somewhere super close. Well, one of the places that's super close to where I grew up is a tiny, nothing of a school called Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas. (laughs) They're the Aggies. Okay, listen, I got it. They're an incredible university, blah, blah, blah. We all know. Okay, I didn't go there. I went to Texas Tech, which is in Lubbock, which is in the panhandle of Texas. We're talking eight and a half to 10 hours away from Houston, depending on how fast you drive. So let me explain to you what it means to go to a university that you cannot rush home from this university. Texas Tech is on a plateau because Lubbock is on a plateau. If you don't know what a plateau is, I'm going to let you Google that because I am not a geologist or a scientist or (laughs) plateauist. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to explain. I have no idea. If I were to explain, it wouldn't make sense. All right, here's what it is. It's kind of a land formation that's very flat. Tech is flat. Lubbock is flat. You will see the greatest sunsets out in West Texas because all there is is sky. You will see the greatest Oh my goodness, star formations, Milky Way, photography, loving kind of nights in West Texas. Okay, but this is not why I went. (laughs) What's sad is that this is where you also will see a lot of dirt, a lot of dust. This is a true fact. You will be driving down the highway and this is where you would see a tumbleweed. Anybody who thinks Texas is full of tumbleweeds, you're wrong. But in West Texas, you're right. (laughs) That's where you see it. So because there's nothing to stop the massive wind that comes through, okay, the panhandle, there's a lot of wind. The dirt gets spun up into the sky. What no one tells you is, okay, is that when it then rains, which it rarely rains in West Texas. I mean, rare might be a strong word, but it feels like it's rare. When it does, it literally rains mud. I'm not kidding, because the dirt and the dust and whatever else is up there is floating around in the sky, swirling around with the wind. So when the rain comes down, I am not kidding. It comes down as mud on your car, on your face. (laughs) You guys, it's like you're sitting here going, is the apocalypse? Should I look this up? Where do I read this 
in the Old Testament, something is happening. I should be concerned. The first time this happened, I called my father. I had no clue. And when I say I was freaking out, I'm not, I am not exaggerating. I called my dad, who is 100% Italian from New Jersey. And I said, dad, I think the end of the world is happening. This is a true story. I'm like, there are blobs of red. And I think, I think it might be blood. I don't know. But it's sticky and gross and it's all over my car. I'm freaking out. First thing my dad says to me is, Liv, is it raining? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) He's like, Olivia, that is called mud. And he was right. If I had not been living at Texas Tech, 10 hours away from my parents, you better believe I would have driven home immediately, probably dropped out of school because I am a little dramatic. My friend who I have today is, I would not call dramatic, but she definitely went away to school for similar reasons, but on the opposite side of Texas. She is from West Texas and she ended up going to school at that dinky, nothing, minuscule, not even worth mentioning Texas A&M. <laughs> Can you tell that we were rivals? And she is an Aggie. And when I say that, that's someone who goes to Texas A&M, I mean that in the best way possible. I love, I love A&M. I truly do. And my friend is the perfect Aggie. She loves as big as the state of Texas. And she just is the epitome of all the things that you think Texas A&M is and this great state. She loves barbecue. She loves Dr. Pepper, sweet tea, and a good cold shiner. (laughs) But you know what she loves more than all that? She loves Jesus. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you soon will. Please, oh my goodness, so excited for my guest, Catherine Whitaker. Well, hey, hello, Catherine Whitaker. How are you today? I'm good, Liv. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so ridiculous. I love that like every time I see you, I feel like you are my friend that has the same size smile that I have. Like I yes. feel like <laughs> that's so accurate. Out, it is. I don't know anyone else who buddy the elves their face like you do and me. Like it's like we're constantly an emoji together. <laughs> And I love it. This doesn't also have visual component to it. So everyone just has to imagine the big smile. (laughs) They'll just have to go and they'll have to trust us and believe us. And uh, there you go. (laughs) But yes, you have a huge, beautiful smile. And here's what's so fantastic. I love that you are probably my, and I mean this, and this is with a lot of love. You're probably my most emphatic Aggie friend. And that's saying a lot, Catherine. <laughs> I am proud to own that title. I love it. <laughs> I knew you would be. Because as someone who grew who has grown up in Houston, I've met an Aggie or two. Okay. I'm just putting it out there. I've bumped into a couple of you guys. <laughs> it's hard, hard not to. It's like mosquitoes in, you know, <laughs> July. So um, I love your energy around Texas A&M. And I got to know, I have to know, were you brainwashed? I mean, not brainwashed. Uh, sorry, that was a slip. <laughs> that was me. That was so, that was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. 
<laughs> were you raised? That was the word I was looking for. It sounds like brainwashed. It was weird. Um, were you raised to be a Texas Aggie, to be an A&M Aggie? Was this drilled into your brain? I mean, presented to you your entire life? Actually, and I'm going to admit this um, on, on tape, on air here. I actually had aspirations to go to Texas Tech because I'm a panhandle girl. I know. And now you're dying. So I'm a panhandle <laughs> girl. My Texas grandpa Tech. went to Texas Tech. He is a massive Red Raider fan. He was oh big, fine. big, um, big Red Raider. And my entire graduating class, with the exception of two people, either went to West Texas A&M or Texas Tech, which are all, all in the panhandle. But it was, yeah, through, it was through 4-H. I went to 4-H Roundup, which is like our state competition when I was in high school. And we stayed, that was back when we stayed on campus at Texas A&M. And that first summer I looked at my mom and I said, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to come here. Primarily because it was nine hours from home. And I was looking for the in-state school that got me as far away from the panhandle as possible. So A&M fit the bill. That's hilarious because that's the exact opposite. Or I maybe I'm not. Like you should have gone to A&M reason. and I should have gone to tech. Like that's how that right. worked out. That's exactly right. And and that's so funny. So we had the same reason why I went to Texas Tech because it was nine hours away. There you go. And you went to A&M because it was nine hours away. So I get it. I feel you. I And listen, and you know this, you know this. I have nothing but love for Texas A&M. I really do. I really do. And I, I love it. And I love all my Aggies. But I, I got to say, Katha Whitaker, I feel like you just really own the title which is so fantastic because it makes sense for anybody who knows what a true Texas A&M Aggie is to then see what you're doing with your life today, <laughs> to see how you take that spirit and just kind of saturate it on everything in your life with your family, with your career. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Do you feel that there is a connection between where you went to school and who you are? Or do you think this is just destined to who you are, period? I think that's a beautiful compliment. No, I was going to say that's a beautiful compliment, actually. Good. I mean, I think at AM, I learned what it means to have integrity and what it means to have a code of ethics and of honor and that your word means something. And so I think that fit well with at least the way that I was raised. And then I got to AM and other people really emulated that. And I kind of grew into myself at Texas AM. I mean, I found kind of who God wanted me to be there. And really, literally, like I came in as an evangelical Protestant and walked out as a Catholic. But I love, I love the environment there. And I love that people were so, I don't know, like, we just all drank the Kool-Aid, but we were so, (laughs) and I say that in the most (laughs) loving ways, but we were so encouraging of each other. I mean, some of my dearest, bestest friends who support me still to this day are people that I met at Texas A&M. And even people that I haven't met, but we share the same ring. We share the same alma mater. And it's just, I don't know. I love that place dearly. It's like yeah, woven into who I am and you can't unstitch it out. So I love it. And you shouldn't have to. And I think it fits you perfectly. And I love that, you know, so many times people talk about college and it's a great experience or it's a place of learning or, you know, a lot of fun. But I think there definitely is a time and certain situations and stories where you really do grow into who you become. And I just have to say, I feel like as as your friend and knowing you now is that I do. I feel like you from all your stories, you really grew into who you're supposed to be today 
from where you went to school and how important that is. I don't know if we talk about that enough, you know, with teens, we just say, hey, pick a school, go to school. But there's there's a there's a huge um, piece to really being intentional about where you go to school. How do you how do you translate that now as a parent with kids that are thinking about where to go to school? That is a really good question. I mean, I think I mean, everyone always assumes, oh, you want all your kids to go to A&M. Um, and we do. And technically, I mean, our oldest is <laughs> he's a freshman at Texas a and <laughs> But I think we told them we want you to go to a place that's going to allow you to become fully who God needs you to be. And if that's at Texas A&M, that's at Texas A&M. That may not even be at a university. You know, not all of our kids may go to college. And that's not something that I would have said 15 or 20 years ago. But I want my kids to use the gifts that God has bestowed upon them and to do something with them, you know, to go glorify the kingdom, to go change the world. And maybe that's at Texas A&M, but maybe it's somewhere else. And I think we've asked, we keep asking our kids, like, what is it you want to do? I think in the early days, we're like, oh, you should do these 20 things because we want to you know, expose you to all the things. And then we realize that's killing our family. Instead, let's figure out what you love and then let's foster that and then let that lead where you choose to go to school. We did tell them, and this is a small caveat, that they could go anywhere, but we would only pay for them to go to Texas A&M. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a running oh. joke. <laughs> and completely true. Also, is- maybe partially true. I will definitely... I love I, it. I mean, the kids have asked us, mom, if we got a full scholarship to the University of Texas, would you let us go there? And our answer is still no. It's still a hard no. Really? Yeah. You, honest to God, <laughs> you would not let your children go to, uni- to the University of Texas? I mean, they would have to this have is a being hard, recorded. They would have to have a hard <laughs> case as to why, like, that one university would be the very best place for them. Just because, really? I mean, well, the, the rivalry is deep, Liv. Like, that's hard to oh shake, man. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay, so we're totally talking on like just collegiate like <laughs> rivalry. There's not because you're like, it's a horrible university. The people in the North or anyone outside of the United States is like, what is she talking about? That's so yeah, weird. Yeah, they don't care. It's they really fine. don't care. They're like, this is the longest conversation ever about a university. But if you're in Texas, it's an important conversation. Yes, to have. it is. So I get that. I hear you. Let me ask you this. When you were at Texas A&M, I almost said Texas Tech. See how much I really... (laughs) All these weird slip-ups. That's so weird. Okay. (laughs) No, love you. Um, While you were at Texas A&M, did you think of yourself as a writer? Because I find it really fascinating about your story. You didn't get a degree in education or in English. You didn't go to school to be a writer, to be an author, to be anybody that's going to transcribe things with words. But yet, this is where you're at today. Not that you don't do the other things that you went to, to college for, but tell me what you what you did end up getting a degree in, what you went into the world with, and now where you're at today, and if, if that surprises you or not. Well, my senior year of high school, we had a brand new journalism teacher that came to our high school. She's brand new teacher. And I was editor of the school paper and co-editor of the yearbook. And it was that year that I fell in love with writing because of Cindy. And she taught me how to tell a story. And I fell in love with Ooh, it. But I had I already committed to go to A&M. And I was on a Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo Scholarship. And back then, in order to get, I think I had like $16,000, which back then was a lot of money to go to college. It's a lot it of paid, money now. <laughs> it paid for three <laughs> of my four years. And, but the stipulation was that I had to choose a degree in the College of Agriculture. So at a and my undergrad was in ag education, which is like a general degree in agriculture. But then my emphasis area or my minor was in communications and marketing. And then my master's degree is in ag education as well. 
but my emphasis was in communications and journalism. So my thought was, is when I left school that I would be an ag communicator. So I would write about the story of agriculture, tell people there's a lot of myths out there about what agriculture really is, particularly production agriculture and what our kids are doing. So I went to work for a youth organization and I was writing about farming and horticulture and aquaculture and like the science business and technology of agriculture. And I loved it. And that's what I thought really? I was going to do. Yeah. I thought I was going to go you get my PhD. It. Oh yeah, for sure. I thought I was going to be a PhD professor teaching ag communications in college is what I really wanted to do. That's fascinating. Little and known what do fact. you feel about that little known <laughs> fact? That's that's fantastic. Are you like, do you have any sadness around that? That's not what you're doing. Are you like, peace out? Yes, th that is not where my path was supposed to go. Like, do you have peace about it? I guess is what I should ask. I loved that. That's part of my story. Um, it was okay. sad. It was sad to leave agriculture in the sense on the day to day part. But I mean, agriculture never really left me. I'm it's sort of like when you can't take the Texas out of the girl, you can't take the agriculture out of me. I mean, I think it's a part of growing up in teeny tiny panhandle town and then, you know, working for national FFA. But I mean, I really, I don't know. That's where I learned to tell a story about something that people don't understand. And so it seems to relate Ooh. well now that I talk about Jesus and people have all these myths and misconceptions about what he is and what, what our lives should look like as Christians. And I mean, I, I know not many people will say that bulls and steers prepared them to talk about Jesus, but in my case it did. And I loved the parallel and I loved the community in both of those. They're very small worlds. You know, once you, do something in agriculture, somebody on the other side of the world is going to know it because agriculture is a really small community. But I loved being able to tell my story there because I think it prepared me for how to tell my story and what Jesus has done in our own life. So I don't regret it. I love I'm thankful that. for it. I love that. I think that's really cool that it taught you how to tell a story about something that's difficult to tell. So what, okay, first of all, what town in West Texas are you from? So I'm from Dumas. So if you know the top part of Texas, I know where that is. you know where Amarillo going hour north, yeah. you're going to drive through there if you're going skiing in Colorado. Everybody knows it because of that. That's my hometown. It's a good reason to know. It's yeah, a good well, reason to know. So I want you to educate me. How would you make that connection of bulls and steers to Jesus? What does that, what does that link look like? What does that story look like? So I used to do ghost riding. So I was a ghost rider for our national, um, I forget what his title was. He was like our executive director. And so Dr. Case would say, Catherine, I need you to write this article. We're trying to get funding for this thing. And so I was Dr. Case. So I was the ghost writer. So <laughs> that's it, pretty cool. It, it taught me how to, to elevate my writing so that people would. And it was interesting because people were like super respectful of him. And I was like, actually, the gal that's 40 years younger than him just wrote that. But it gave me a lot of confidence <laughs> to do that. Um, I think when it comes to bulls and steers, people, people have a very limited view of what agriculture is and the careers that you can do and the kind of people that are in agriculture. They think it's right. only a That's kind fair. of person. That's right. And I would walk into the room and I was almost always the only female in the room. And one summer I interned for the Texas Cattle Feeders Association. So I inspected feedlots, which is for those that don't know, that's where we send cattle to be fed before we slaughter them, you know, fatten them up. So I inspected feedlots to make sure that they were compliant with government standards. And so many men looked at me and they were like, you can't possibly know what you're talking about. And I was like, actually, if you Hold keep my beer, <laughs> if you keep poking that cow right there, that meat's not going to be real good when it comes for slaughter time. Like you need to be Ooh. using non-invasive techniques to move your herd. And they were like, oh, maybe you do know. Maybe she does know something. So, I mean, I think I translated that into you got to meet people where they are. 
And so find out what their, find out what their myths or their misconceptions may be, where they are in their state of life. And instead of trying to talk 20 miles down the road, how about you just start at the mile marker that you're at? And then you get a little bit further down the road as you begin to develop a relationship. So that's what agriculture taught me is that if you talk down to people or just tell them, oh, you're so stupid, I can't believe you don't know that, they're never going to listen to you. Much the same in faith. Like if you, if you shove Jesus down people's throats, they're never going to listen to you. So I think that's the biggest parallel that I learned between those two things. And to me, there's, there's not really a distinction between the two. I mean, I think they're very similar in learning to love the land and learning to love you know, the, the gifts that God's given us and also learning that much of agriculture is out of our control, the weather, the crops, you know, none of that's in our control. And so I think it's taught me a lot about the spiritual life too. Oh, I love that. So why did you leave agriculture? What made you leave that space? I had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling that was the reason. And listen, that's a great reason. There's nothing wrong with that. Like that's really fantastic because you had a baby and now you're in a different space. That baby is old now. Like that's, you don't, that baby, that specific one. Yes, that baby still. He's 19 now. (laughs) 19, 19. which is beautiful. And how many children do you have? So we have six. So they're ages six to 19. So kindergarten to college. I love it. So you were able to take what you learned in agriculture. Let me, let me ask this next question. Have you used anything from that experience as a parent with raising your children or did that not translate as much with the spiritual life? <laughs> well, I mean, I learned to manage chaos. Do you prod the like, children? <laughs> I learned to prod the children so that I don't damage the meat. Um, I mean, I learned hey, about some chaos to that. for sure. And I sure. mean, yeah. and, and, in, and in agriculture, I mean, I had to learn about things. So my degree was general agriculture. So I learned about equine science. I learned about food science. I learned about horticulture. So sort of a, enough to be dangerous that I knew a little bit about all the things. So when I had kids, I was like, all right, well, I guess we'll learn how to potty train and I'll learn how to raise a teenager and I'll learn how to teach them to drive and learn how to manage social media. And you just kind of learn a little bit about everything. But I think I learned through agriculture, you got to surround yourself with people who know more than you do so that you learn. And so I think when I became a parent, I took that same lesson. I was like, all right, so I need to start becoming friends with people who are about four or five years down the road from me and people who are like three or four years behind me so that maybe I can be their mentor but then I can learn from the people ahead of me. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned as far as wrangling a whole crew of kids. (laughs) Which I think is really awesome. So what year, Catherine, were you sitting around, you know, with your 600 kids and you said, you know what? (laughs) I miss writing. I'm going to start a blog. Gosh, darn it. When was that? decision what year was that how many kids had you made take me there <laughs> i made i made four <laughs> kids by then um, four kids you made four kids well you know so when i left ffa i started dabbling in graphic design so i started kind of becoming kind of a liaison between catholic organizations and i had learned a little bit of design and worked with photographers in my ffa job so then when I sort of had this baby and I was like, yeah, I kind of want to do something. So people were like, hey, I hear you like design or I hear you like to write. And so I was kind of doing some stuff pro bono. And then we were four babies in and one of my girlfriends, who's actually agnostic, came over to my house one day and she's like, Kathy, you should, you should like blog, like you should write, write some stuff down. And I was like, yeah, maybe that sounds fun. So on Christmas 
like two days after Christmas, I was like, eh, let's start a blog. So it was like my mom, my mother-in-law and Scott, my husband, those are the three <laughs> people that read it. it but I it wasn't, it. it wasn't until our fifth baby was born. He was born premature that I really started using the blog as an outlet, like a cathartic outlet to write. And that's when I was like, Hey, I think I have a story to tell here, a way to connect with people. And prematurity was way out of my league. Like he was born premature and I had no idea what I was doing. And so I started writing about it and learning about it. And that started opening doors. And, you know, over the course of the last, let's see, how old is that fourth baby? She's about to be 13. <laughs> so over the last 12, 13 wow. years, I mean, I've learned I'm a different mom than I was back then. But, but all of that sort of came through writing and connecting with people on social media. I mean, Twitter started to come out and Facebook was already around and, and then Instagram and all those things started, you know, bits and pieces. And I could, I can look back now and see all the little bits and pieces. But I mean, I ultimately think it was the experience at FFA, then having babies, finding this gift that I love to do. And then I just started doing what God asked me to do, not really with the intention of doing any of this. I was like, I'll just write because that's what I know. It's what I love. And you had never thought about it? Like blogging mm-hmm. before this friend? No. It was really, really the first time. So what I read blogs. What, I mean, okay. I definitely read blogs and loved them, but I was like, man, that's not, that's not for me. So is this like 05? What is this? 07. 07. 07? 2007, yeah. Okay. That's when it came out. And then when Luke, your son, who was born premature, and that's very well documented in your book and, you know, part of your story in that you tell when you're speaking, because now you're a speaker. What year was was that, the year of so his he was, birth? He was born in 2009. So two years after I started the blog is when Luke okay. was born. So things start picking up. And things are happening with the blog. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Actually, Which you is know, all great and organic. Yeah. You'll appreciate this. This is when the blog took off. Okay. Okay. So this, I'm this, ready. Tell, this tells you, here's a story for you. So this tells you that I went in with, <laughs> with no real ambition except to just tell a story. So yeah. several years ago, uh, when my 19-year-old was 11, is when Johnny Manziel, a.k.a. Johnny Football, won the Hosman, which was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it was a big deal. He was the first freshman. So... The next, I guess, when they were getting ready to to recognize him on the floor of the state legislature in Texas, the night before that happened, uh, we get a text message from a friend of ours. He's a legislator. And he said, hey, I hear that Will's going to be a legislative page tomorrow. So those are like young kids who can be connected to their legislator and they can like run messages between, you know, representatives and they get to be on the floor during session. It's kind of a cool, like honorary thing to do. That is cool. Yeah. So he said, Hey, send well with a Sharpie because I hear that Johnny Manziel is going to be on the floor tomorrow. I was like, well, that sounds like fun. So Will ends up being the only little kid up there because they were all legislators and they all had like footballs and stuff. And Johnny didn't sign any of that. Will marches up right behind the parliamentarian who was a big Aggie and Will handed him his pen and Johnny signed his badge. And it was phenomenal. Like I'm freaking out in the gallery, like taking all these pictures. So I get home that night and I write this letter to Johnny Football. It's called um, Dear Johnny Football. And I bang this post out in like 10 minutes. And it was all about how that 30 seconds changed Will's life. It was a big deal for him. He'd idolized Johnny. I'm going to cry. Like he'd idolized Johnny and watched him play football and like cried so many tears over the, over the Aggies losing in football or getting outscored. And, and this was like his moment, like he met this guy, you know, and I wrote it and I went to bed. I get up the next morning and it was all over Reddit. It had gone like viral in Aggie circles, like 
hundreds of thousands of people logged onto my site to read that blog post. And what happened is Johnny found it and tweeted it out and it crashed my site. And that's when Stop. things changed. So again, like I'm just writing, banging Catherine. out a 10 minute post about how this kid was so impacted by this football player and bam, crazy, and right? That, there you go. What year was that? When did that happen? Uh, when did Johnny, oh, Will, man, I guess. I be, so he was 11. So that would have been. Oh, eight years ago. Yeah. I'm bad right? with math. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. Am I right? <laughs> I'm an ag major. I do not count. Okay. I'm a trophy wife. So I should I know when he won the Heisman. Um, but yeah, so eight years ago. So yeah, 2000 and yeah, around whatever. there. Fantastic. 12, 11, that is, I love that though. And I love that it got to his hands. I love that Johnny, whatever people believe and think and want to say about Johnny football sure. today, Okay, who cares? I love that story that he took it. And that shows how impactful people don't even understand how one thing that they do can change somebody else's life. You know what I mean? Not just the signing of the badge, which that changed Will's life. Yes. But then him posting, Catherine, that's changed your life. Like that's really We were incredible. screaming in the office. Like my kids were like, your street cred just went way up. They're like, <laughs> I can't believe Johnny Football just tweeted that out. I mean, we literally lost our minds. Like we had a celebratory oh dinner gosh. that night because we were all yeah. so excited. I mean, I think within every person there's there's goodness. And in that moment we saw the goodness of him and I will forever sure. I will forever of remember course. him for that always. Absolutely. I hope you had some really specific college station food. I was about to start listing some famous <laughs> restaurants, but I didn't go to Texas A&M. There's a chicken place, right? Called Dixie. Lane's. Is that? Oh, oh, oh. well, yeah. I'm mean, going to the store. Oh, that's like, wrong. Chicken oil company and um, the Dixie Oh, yeah. Chicken. chicken oil company. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're just going to pretend it was one of those that you guys had that <laughs> night because <laughs> those are the, I was trying to impress you with my Texas A&M. I was going to be knowledge. real impressed. Dang it. Next time. Sorry. Next it's time. Sorry. So let me ask you this. You now have a book. And it's pretty new. Um, we actually met before your book became like live. You had written it, I believe. Oh, that's right. But yeah. when did oh, we just had our one year anniversary as friends. So we met May 2019. <laughs> but I knew about you long, long before that because we have a mutual friend uh, and a Dominican sister. The sister oh, Maria that's Fatima. right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I knew about you because my friends read. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they read Team Whitaker. <laughs> so, but here's what's great. Your book came out this uh, fall of 2019. Yes. It hasn't even been out a year because right now you and I are in May 2020. And... That has been a life-changing moment just from being your friend and walking a tiny bit of that journey by. You were, let me just say, like waving from the from the rafters. No, girl, you. you were on the front row cheerleader. You're awesome. Oh, I love it. I have a big fat head of your face as you're like doing this incredible tour. Are you kidding? I love it. But here's the thing. There had to be a decision where you took where you were going, speaking you know, which I know I don't have time to dig into all the things, but that's okay. That's why we can hopefully meet up again and you'll come back. But I do want to get to this point. When you decided to take this writing on the road and put it into a book, obviously, I'm going to guess that wasn't from a friend that walked in your living room and said, hey, I don't know. <laughs> I think you should write a book. I'm guessing this was something put on your heart probably a long time ago. I'm sure there's a tremendous story in that. 
But what had to quiet down in your life, Catherine Whitaker, for you to actually hear that voice of God to where you could not deny that any longer? What had to quiet down for you to do it? My ego. So Ooh, I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. I love that. If I had written this book when I wanted to write this book, half of that book wouldn't have existed. None of those really? story, none of those stories had been lived yet. So I thought really highly of myself. I was like, this is good writing. People need to hear this. I'm so important. And then over the course of just dealing with all of Luke's medical issues and all of his surgeries and everything, I finally was like, I think I want it for the wrong reason. And I just, I've told the story before, for lack of a better word, I shelved it. I was like, we're not going to do it. And I was stuck in an ice storm in Houston. I'm sure you remember that ice storm. <laughs> I and, mean, the one we've had in 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Where the whole city <laughs> shut one. down. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I am holed up with my sorority sister and her three triplets who are all potty training. It was awesome. Oh, no. no, it was awesome. <laughs> no, I love it. And I get a message that said, hey, we want you to consider writing a book. It was a publisher. And I'm like, this is spam. And I deleted the message. I was like, that's not real. Yep. So then I called Scott and I was like, well, I don't know if this is spam or not. So I fished it out of my spam folder. And I said, do you think this is legit? (laughs) And he's like, I think, I think maybe you should just write them back and find out. So, you know, a couple of publishers reached out, but I think it was at that point that I realized I wanted it finally for the reason that I should have wanted all along, which was to tell the story that God wanted me to tell. But it, coincidentally, that same friend that walked in my door and told me I should start a blog is the same friend that took the picture of me in the cowboy boots that's on the cover of the book. Stop it. Yep. Are you kidding me right now? Is she a professional photographer? She is. Oh, Catherine. That, I love that. I love Oh, the goosebumps. I love the connection from the beginning of your writing for where you are at your career to that, to the cover of the book. Was that an intentional choice to have her photograph it? Or is that something you realized later? When you write a book, you don't get to decide what the cover looks like. In fact, you don't even get to decide the title of the book. That's all the publisher. So when the when I signed the contract with the publisher, I said, listen, I know you guys are professionals, but I'm a freelance graphic designer and I have some ideas. And so I asked if they would let me be an active part of the design part, which they agreed to. So before they started the design process, I sent them three pages of ideas, font colors, Pantones. um, (laughs) That's so you. I love it. That is so you. (laughs) Sample book covers. And then there was this picture of me and my cow. I really wanted like, I wanted people when they saw the book to see like being Texan is a huge part of who I am. And I wanted that to come through. And if, if people weren't going to hear my voice when they saw the book cover, I at least wanted them to know that I was Southern. And Shannon had taken some beautiful photos of our family and we were all in our cowboy boots. And so I zoomed in and it was actually me and the three girls. And I had a picture of us in our cowboy boots and Ave, Ave Maria Press, who published the book, chose that particular, that photo. And then we just sort of, we kind of recreated it um, just for the cover of the book. And Shannon took the photo. It was pretty awesome. Oh, I love that. That is so incredible. Okay. Best story that I've heard yet. I got to say that was so great. I love that she was at the beginning and she's she's here now because it hasn't even been a year that your book's been out. So Catherine, for those on the planet that are number one, not Texas Aggies, and number two, haven't heard of you yet, <laughs> where can people find you? What is the name of your book? Tell us all the things so people can correct that wrong. 
and so go my, and fix it. My website is teamwhitaker.org. And on social media, I'm kwhitaker96. And the name of my book is Live Big, Love Bigger. And then the tagline is Getting Real with Barbecue, Sweet Tea, and a Whole Lot of Jesus. And you can hear the twang because not only is there a paperback, but there is now an audiobook on Audible yet, yet. So you can hear the twang. <laughs> and I have a whole listening guide in case people are listening and they're like, I don't even know what she just said. So I have it all like, <laughs> I say this word, you hear this. Now you can listen to the book with full, with full ears and know what I'm saying. So yes, all that stuff is online. It was, it was I a total it. joy to do all of that and a, and a real honor, actually. Well, friend, congratulations. I am one of your biggest fans. Oh, I you, think Liz. the world of you and I hope oh, I love you too. I, I would love to have you back if you're ever, there's so many stories. I feel like you and I could just crack open a beer and just have at it. And uh, oh, that's right. We've done a that really long podcast. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's why it feels familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I love you to pieces. All right, ma'am. I will see you. Everybody go follow Catherine Winokur. Catherine, thank you. Bye, friend. Thanks, Liv. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Talk To Me with Liv Harrison, the stories behind their success. Now, I got a little favor to ask. I need you to come back next week and listen to my next fantastic guest. The best way to remember is to subscribe. If you haven't already subscribed, take a second, take a moment and do that right now. And I really appreciate it. If you could even do me another solid, leave me a review. It's really important as I start off these first few weeks. I need your support. Share with your friends. Tell your colleagues. Make your kid listen. Okay, you don't have to make your kid listen, but subscribe, like, share, leave a review and come back next week. Thank you so much until you hear me again.